Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Today we are bringing you another special, special show. We have Mr. Nathan Reynolds with us tonight. And before we start the show, I would just like to recognize a few of our sponsors. Dr. Zelenko, uh, a very, 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 very special man that saved a lot of lives during this pandemic. Um, he, I'm sure everybody heard the news. He, he passed away the other day. And um, please give him and his family some support. If you go to zstack.com, zstack.com, he has zstack and he has detox. And for those that are waking up to this bioweapon, detox is, is very great uh, for those individuals. And if you use promo code CPN, you'll get 5% off your purchase. And I'd like to recognize MyPillow.com, and that's MyPillow.com, Mike Lindell, a guy that's investing a lot of his own money, and, and he barely gets any sleep to defend our freedoms. And if you go to MyPillow.com and you type in CPNN during your purchase, you can get up to 66% off of your purchase. And last but not least, I would like to recognize a woman that was considered a conspiracy theorist, and that's Dr. Stella Manuel, that was telling us everything now that we are learning was the truth. And if you go to drstellamd.com, that's drstellamd.com. She's also created some things to fight against these bioweapons. Use promo code CPN and get 5% off your purchase. And now, in further ado, I would like to introduce Nathan Reynolds. Thank you for joining Conservative Patriot Nation Network, sir. Wonderful to be here with you all. Absolutely. Um, I got to give uh, a big shout out to JW. JW made this show tonight possible. Um, JW, you rock and you're awesome. Mr. Reynolds, uh, for the audience, can you give a little bit of a background of yourself and then just go right into your story? And I'm going to give you the floor. All right. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, those of you who reached out and, and made this a possibility and for taking the time to do this. Yeah, as as you said, um, it's kind of an interesting story to get started with for people that may be less familiar, but it sounds like the audience and those of you that are paying attention here are aware of the reality of the world and the fabric that, that seems to be the outward appearance that all of us see, but there is an underbelly. There is a, there are some wizards behind the curtains that are pulling strings and practicing great intentional radical evil, very highly intelligent evil. And I was raised in a family that was saturated with just such people and who were strategic in their pursuit of advancing an agenda that was contrary to what most people would ever think as normal, as right, or as moral. There was a level of acceptable depravity in my upraising that made it completely something else. And it really wasn't something that I recognized as so debased and so broken until much later in my life. And for those of you that are raised in a society like here in America, or those of you that might be listening internationally, people that grow up in our country have an idea impressed upon them that this place, this land that we grow up in, is a place of freedom, of right living, of moral people, of righteous people. And yet inside that 
kind of ideology. There are those who are using that idea and that personality as a cloak, as a concealment method to advance a agenda that is absolutely contrary to that. And so I was raised with people that operated their lives and set themselves in such a way that they would be willing to compromise other individuals, that they were willing to seek ways to destroy and corrupt people and compromise their livelihood, compromise their ethics, their morality, what made them who they are, even to compromise their very humanity, to make them more like a beast, unruly and full of just pure desire to control, to rule, to domineer, to dominate. And so in that environment, my family decided, the Reynolds family had this desire to build empires. And the way that they do that is chosen basically at a very young age. And so my, my family saw opportunities to hunt down people's hope. And so I grew up with, with uh, parents and, and grandparents and family members that utilize strategic abuse of children at early ages in order to compromise other individuals and in order to destroy the identity of those of those people. And so for me, my identity was broken very early on in my life. And I became caught up in this world of corruption. And it involved radical evil being done to my midst. And it was very much a mixture of spiritual as well as physical evil that kind of underlays what it was that they were about. But this the goal of this long term was to bring about a change in the trajectory of key individuals that would be placed in positions of potential strong influence. And so when that took place, they recognized compromise was a currency un unto itself. And so what was really being trafficked around as much as it was my body and it was the bodies of other people and family members and other uh, adults, teenagers and children was that it was a currency to steer this ship that so many people are wondering, how did we get here? I think as you are well aware of in the last couple of years, there's been a great shaking to many people out of their slumber, out of their stupor. And what it's producing is people that are willing to do the most dangerous thing in the world, which is to ask serious questions, to consider something that may not be accurate and to test it instead that maybe the information that they're receiving through the normal indoctrination methods that have been put forth for generations in this country, that maybe they don't actually have our best interests at heart. That in fact, there might be ulterior motives to many of the individuals who have pursued positions of power, who are willing to do whatever it took to get to the top. And those individuals are willing to go along with great compromise schemes. And that was what this, this methodology that my family adopted there's individuals within the Reynolds family who have great wealth from business ventures, like whether that's the aluminum and the packaging food industry side of the Reynolds family, or you have other wealth that came from the Winston-Salem area, which is engineered around tobacco and nicotine products and agricultural. But then there's kind of a third branch within that, which is those that generate what is like a black gold, which would be an untraceable wealth and phone book that can be utilized whenever is needed by other parties that are uh, abreast to it. I think a lot of people just got more recent exposure through some of the scandals that have broken out in the past few years. And it's allowed people to begin to examine closely and scrutinize the people that are supposed to be representing our better interests, that are supposed to be in positions as judges and rulers, politicians and magistrates, leaders, military and industrialists and corporate merchants. We have in this society instead people who are radically devoted 
to compromising and corrupting everyone they can in order to control narratives, in order to control information. Because without knowledge, people sincerely are guaranteed to perish. If people have believed a lie, they are vulnerable for pride. They're vulnerable to believe it's not really like that. I can't accept that it's like that because that means I was tricked. And so at a fundamental basis, what has built that fabric of society that we have now been raised in is deception, is absolute strategic calculated deception. And as people begin to go ask those questions, they now are getting an opportunity that I didn't have even in my youth that most people didn't have 40 years ago, even fewer had beyond that, which was access to information that was nearly limitless. So they could test and evaluate the fruits of the mouths of what these people were saying. They were actually able to ascertain whether or not they were correct in what they were doing. And so as the course of my life progressed and out of my youth, and I had so much anger and rage and bitterness in my being, and I wanted to be able to fight back against these people. I wanted to be able to wage a war against the perverts and the corrupted and those who were so debased as to cover these things up and cover up crimes and perpetuate child exploitation. I had such a hunger for it and I wanted to see justice done. And I thought the way to do that and was told the way to do that, that the outlets was violence, that violence and and targeting of other people who were the bad guys. If I just could go hunt them all down and eradicate them, compromise their life with what they've done to other people, then that was what I set myself out to do. And so that led me into a world of targeting human beings for capture and destruction and perpetuating a violence and assassination on other human beings. And that got me launched down into the worlds of, of military projects and special kill teams in the United States Army. And it was a world that I thought was going to bring about justice. I thought that the soldiers in the room were the ones who were guarding the nation, who were guarding that idea, that concept, that fabric of what makes us us as Americans. And so I was wholly engrossed in what I thought was authentic patriotism, what I thought was authentic good guys waging wars against bad guys. And I soon the scales began to kind of get peeled off of my eyes the longer that I was in the United States military. And I got to see such similarities between people that were practitioners of occult manipulation and secret lying, cheating, stealing, coercion. And instead, I got to see people that did it under the cloak of a different uniform. And this uniform didn't use spirituality. It didn't use Christianity. It didn't use middle-class America to camouflage itself like my family did. Instead, it used a cloak of, of militarism of nationalism, of patriotism. But the reality was, is they were similar players to this, this phoenix that was seeking its new world order, that was looking to rise out of these ashes from burning down and destroying a righteous kingdom. And that is consistent theme that if you look at histories and dynasties, that has played out time and time again, that this is empires are susceptible to this infection, this virus just consumes people's souls. And it's when people get trapped in a, in a snare of comfortability, of convenience, of escaping authentic human experiences. And as that grows and bears its fruit, we see people who are not knowing how to stand up against wickedness, who don't understand how to fight strategically, carefully, cautiously, precisely against just such an empire. And when I was within those ranks, I got to see that compromise head in 
infected the military. And I was part of teams that were supposed to be hunting down individuals who in the military were proven to be traffickers and extortionists and were debased in what they were doing. And even amidst that, I saw business deals and contracts were guiding these things. I saw defense agencies and and industrialists that were pulling the strings on soldiers. I saw compromise riddling through that entire group likewise. And I was very brokenhearted about it because my whole life, I thought, this is how you change the world. This is how you be a hero. This is what makes you a man. And, And those identities got continually corrupted and twisted. And it led me down a trail of self-destruction because at the end of me, my identity was broken. My belief and my convictions in what it was that would, wrong, that would make the wrongs right was lost. And with it went my hope. And a sorrow and a despair came over me as I got out of the military and I was left scattered into the world of normals of going to college classes, of trying to get a career in jobs and figuring out what do I do now? How, how do I fit into society when you're no longer a soldier? And there's so many veterans who are forced to face these anguishes of their soul. This is why 90% of combat veterans lose their marriage within a year or a few years of returning from combat. When you get corrupted in a sense by violence, It's like your soul gets interlocked with rage and death and addictions and sexuality and and hatred and bitterness and envy. It gets just locked in on that. And so I went into my first few years out of the military wrestling with those things. And I spent the next 10 years both in school and then working in the mental health fields. I was trying to seek the help and restoration of others and likewise my own restoration in that. So that led me into the world of addictions counseling and wilderness therapy and and, and living in a way that was completely different than anything I thought it would. And it began to change me and transform me into a different person. And it, it began to shift me away from this identity that I had. And it instead showed me that men can be men without having that version of society impressed on you. You do not need this society's stamp of approval in order to be a man. You do not need the society stamp of approval to be a woman. I got to see my wife and I, as we got married and then began to, to grow in marriage together, we got to see how transformational and powerful the sanctity of a covenant was. And my wife and I's covenant and our relationship began to bring healing and restoration to me. It showed me my identity didn't have to stay wrapped up in all those things. I could be a husband now. I could be a father. And so as I began to grow in my life, it, I, I began to recognize that this really was more than anything else, a physical and spiritual war that was being waged against us continually. And with everything in me, if I was going to show my children anything, if I was going to train them up and raise them up or anybody else, it would be to contend eagerly against that war, to stand against that darkness and light a, a lamp of truth, a light of truth against all of those lies and deception. And for those that are are willing to go on a quest for truth, we're going to seek it out and fight for it and sacrifice for it. That is the war I wanted to fight. That is the way I wanted to wage my battles now. And because of that, I have been completely brought into a different lifestyle, a different way of doing things. And it's led me out into the fields, into the farms, into laboring by the sweat of my face and learning what it's like to, to labor for the food that I eat and to start homesteading and to start working as a vine dresser on tomatoes and greenhouses in Southern Florida and to be a shepherd of goats in the middle of North Carolina and 
my wife and I sold everything we have and we moved into an RV almost four years ago. And it's led us to these places all over this country to now more than 85,000 miles that we've got to travel around and get to meet the authentic fabric of what makes this nation what it is, what makes people people. Because of my corruption in my past, I didn't even know what people really were. I didn't know what mothers were and fathers were and, and what made family, family. Because to me, the family was mafia and it was a totally different thing entirely. And so I've been able to look and spy around this nation and get to know authenticity again. And it has led me on an incredible journey that I am absolutely delighted to share with others in any way that I can to try to call them to, to a potential option that there is other options out there and they are full of life. And I long for people to experience life and to escape those clutches of death and despair. Absolutely. Um, so the, the audience can get a pretty broad uh, view. Can you go into your childhood and a little bit into your family so they can get a better understanding on some of the things that you had to deal with growing up? Absolutely. Uh, as my family basically came from two different kind of spiritual kingdoms. On one side, they all looked very Christian. So I was raised in Christian household. I went to Christian schools. I was homeschooled at times and put into public schools, but I was diversely educated in different denominations and churches um, as my family would move around very regularly. The reason they would move around so regularly is because that camouflage of Christianity or actual relationships didn't work if physical signs of abuse were present or if people started catching wind of what was going on. My family viewed children as assets for their kingdom, as tools in order to build that empire. And when I was young, my family decided to sell me into the human trafficking trade as a means of using my body to make money and profiteer off of uh, child sexual abuse. And so I was thrown into a world of horror for years of my life that involved family members, that involved other members of towns and people that were in positions of authority and normal people and abominable people alike. And it decimated me for many years and is still a process of restoration because when you are, when freedom is never given to you and you're raised in between two worlds, one of light and one of darkness, you, you, you become this gray man who has no concept of what actual reality is anymore. I went from normal schools to radical occult rituals in one day and not once, but many times. And it caused me to become distinctly different person. It shattered my identity. It split my personality and caused me to have dissociative personalities. So I would be trained to be able to manage, handle and perform in very, evil events, and then be able to go back to a normal person, if you will, and who had no real recollection of it and just got through the next day. And so my childhood was spent saturated in that. My, my mother's father on his side of the family are as a fourth order Knights of Columbus, fourth degree Knights of Columbus, and his function in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, where they have built an empire of trafficking and of participating in this. It's kind of a gathering place in the desert 
where many individuals will come from Las Vegas or Los Angeles or Phoenix uh, or Utah, and they will perform and participate in these uh, child exploitation rings and the different events that go on with it. And so I would get sent down there on regular occurrences to be a participant in that, to be a victim uh, in those experiences. And they utilize very strategic scientific approaches to trafficking and transforming people into different personalities so that they can cover up and conceal these crimes. And so as my life grew, as I grew up, my family then also brought in other family members who moved in, um, like my great grandfather, who was, I was more or less sold to him. And uh, so that my family could have access to the financial empire uh, of the Reynolds. And once that took place in my young teenage years, it, it utterly, uh, it, it broke off more and more of my soul. And so when I was a young man going to school and trying to have relationships, I struggled tremendously. It, it became a deep gouges in my soul continually. And I had to play the part of a believer, of a Christian, and then see these, that power, as it was demonstrated to me, was only actually found in depravity, was only actually found in men uh, who are willing to compromise that I saw power in the kingdom of darkness, but I did not see that when I went to the church. I did not see that from men on the pulpit. I never saw men of serious power and convictions, but I did see that in, in men who were wicked. And so I embraced aspects of that darkness. I embraced that as part of my identity and believed that was how you get there, is that is how you know what makes you powerful. And it wasn't until as I grew up that I began to see this doctrine of Luciferianism, which is really what it was. I, it, it may have had a different veneer on it, and they may have called them different deities, but ultimately these, these people and these practitioners were worshiping a, the serpent down in Arizona. This is, they believe that Quetzalcoatl and the fiery plume serpent who demands human sacrifice that's been on this continent since thousand years now, that that blood sacrifice is a means for getting spiritual and then physical power and dominion in your life. And so they would participate in that. There was consumption of blood and there was a complete devotion to finding ways to control the world. And after getting locked into that for so long, it wasn't until I really did get all the way out of the military and be separated from my family for years that I was able to actually identify how radically unnormal that was, how, how not okay it was. Because when you're saturated in an abusive environment and a manipulative environment, you don't even recognize it because you have to adjust to survive. And that's that, that normalcy bias that makes all of us susceptible to being deceived, to being conned, that you could be participating in the very evil you want to contend against or you think you're contending against, but because you don't actually know what is right, what is the standard, the plumb line with which right and wrong are determined? It completely alters your understanding of reality. And so much of my life was a quest to try to get my identity back. Much of my desire was to know what it is that makes people people. And as I've been able to get to see that, it has brought exponential transformation for me and restored that hope that was once lost. Wow. Yeah, that's... That's very tragic, and I, I can relate to a point, <clears throat> you know, growing up in the city of Milwaukee and 
the environment was very loud, chaotic, and when I moved to the suburbs, I was able to think a lot clearer to where I can understand when you're in that environment, you really don't see it at that moment. So while you were growing up and you've seen all this chaotic stuff, what hit you to your breaking point to say, wait a minute, enough is enough. This is, I, I just got to step away. You know, the real ultimate breaking point was my wife con conceiving my daughter. And for me, that was the ultimate decision point of my life. I, because of much of the abuse I suffered physically, I was not supposed to be able to have children. I was made to be kind of like a eunuch so that I could be in and around women and not potentially get them pregnant outside of the bloodlines that I was supposed to be in. And so it would, I knew once I conceived that child that I, the most high, that, that my father in heaven had a different plan and a trajectory for me to experience fatherhood. And I knew that the cost for fatherhood in my family's kingdom, if you want access to the bank account, if you want access to the trust funds, if you want access to the phone book, was you've got to turn your, your child over for a certain number of days or a certain number of weeks every year so that they can go pass through these, these hands of, of abuse and of programming and of trafficking. And you don't get to own them during that time. You don't get to watch over them or guard them or protect them. You turn them over and the family gets to turn them into what they think they need to be. And I knew that was my, that was my moment that I had to choose that no matter what I either go all in for the kingdom of the creator, the kingdom of Yahuwah, or I quit and let my family devour me and destroy my child and my children and any of those that might come from me. And I become a participant in that kingdom and that compromise and that, that costliness weighed upon me very heavily. Because I knew this was, this was that those moments that men are tested, every man and every woman in this life gets tested and what is in us will come out of us. And I knew if I really took my life and I bet it absolutely completely that the word, the scriptures were absolutely true and you could trust them completely. You could trust the word. I believe that is the source of truth and that if everything else was a lie out there, I was willing to face that. So long as I knew this was true and that my father in heaven could take care of me, that he could look after me and he could protect me because I was going to go all in for him. And I knew that it would require that there was no way I could have my foot in that world and try to still stay in the light. I knew that the kingdom of the gray was an illusion, that there is no lukewarm life. There is hot and cold. There is a path that is narrow and then there is a broad way that does lead to destruction. And I had to choose, was I going to, to lay my life down and my desires, my dreams, my hopes, my future, and out of my wife and my children to, to pursue that narrow path and forsake all else. And so I came to that place of choosing and I chose to come out against my family to expose the secrets and expose what they had done in, in darkness and in secret, that no longer would I let my secrets, my sin, my shame, the guilt and the compromise and the blackmail material that was on me to be used as a weapon against me, that I would, I would pour everything out there as, as a witness against these individuals. And I tried to go to them specifically, my family members directly, 
and tell them I was beginning to go through this massive transformation of healing and restoration. And I was starting to find peace and deliverance and hope. And I had people that were praying for me that brought out of my mind this, this dredge of despair. Then I got to see hope again. And I went to my family members and I was beginning to experience that I could choose to forgive them. That this unforgiveness and this bitterness that I was wielding was a self-inflicted prison that was destroying me. And I wanted to extend forgiveness to them. And I believed and hoped and prayed that they would likewise turn, that they would leave this, that they would understand this is not the way, this is death, and they should leave it. But they chose to instead cover it up. They chose to do what they've done before, which is to hide their darkness, to try to stuff it back inside the boxes that it's been buried in. But that was not going to happen. And so that led to people targeting my family for death and people hunting my wife and I down, trying to kill us. And yet we got to see deliverance and protection. I never had to raise my weapons at them. I never had to physically fight these people. I got to see miraculous intervention. Vehicles get shut down right in front of my space. Weapons jamming in front of me. Drones even being completely locked up and taken away that were right in front of our faces. I've got to see now deliverance and miracles instead of having to be the one that's always fighting and always has to be on guard and always has to be ready to run and evade and and disappear. I'm learning that there's freedom when you walk in his narrow path. There is joy. There is life. There's abundance. There's healing. And so those moments of, of getting to be tested brought out of me an opportunity to set a new trajectory for my family. And so six years ago now, this summer, I broke all ties with my family. In, in every capacity. And, and I came out the opposite. I wanted to see my family set free and I wanted my children to be raised as they are, that they would not be corrupted and compromised and controlled, that they would be, get the one thing I was never given as a child, which was choice. That I want my children to choose what they want to do with their life. What is the path that they want to be on? Do they want to choose the narrow or do they want to choose the broad way? That as for me in my house, I'm going to serve Yahuwah. I'm going to pursue his kingdom And I'm going to try to show them this is the other option and to let every brother and sister and every daughter and son that's out there to know you can choose no matter what depravity, no matter what darkness you've been trapped in, no matter what compromises you have, that even in that that level of darkness that you think you're in, that there is always hope, that there is always an opportunity for you to experience freedom, choice, and it is life to those that cling to it. And that's so true, you know, and our creator is so powerful, um, you know, and he's always given us second chances on, of life, you know, and as I'm listening to your story, you know, and <clears throat> just knowing you're from the Reynolds aluminum foil family, you know, a lot of people are always on the outside looking in and looking at successful inventors and families. And they can't concept when a family member comes forward like yourself with so much truth of so much darkness. One thing that I try to do is I try to go into the brains of people to under, to understand, okay, what's, what's going on here? To come up with a formula to either wake someone up or bring them truth. As a kid, did you, you know, coming from such a successful family, at any time, did you sit there and say, like, what the hell is going on here? And 
did you try to go into the brains of your your mother, your father, and your grandfather? Like, okay, what's driving these people to be so dark? That's such a great question to really consider, because, like I talked about earlier, it is the cognitive dissonance is what it is called when truth and reality kind of comes screeching in front of your face and you want to choose to more or less ignore it. You want to put your head back in the sand. People call it like ostrich syndrome. And it's, it is powerful because what it, what it is is often it comes from something called learned helplessness where you take somebody like one way that this is enforced or created or represented is you take a box, you could take a box of fleas and you fill it with fleas and you put a lid on it. And those things will try jumping and jumping and jumping and jumping because that's like what they do. And they'll jump and jump and jump and they cannot get out. Sooner or later, they're going to figure out that you can take the lid off and they will never jump again. And you can do anything you want with them because they've learned that no matter how they try, no matter how hard they fight, there's no way out. There's no way out that you are outnumbered, outmatched, outfinanced, outgunned, out, not outflanked. You are surrounded on all sides and imminent destruction is waiting for you if you do anything that you aren't told to do. Like there is such a psychological warfare that is waged from birth on to make you believe that, to reinforce that, to subtly and very explicitly make that known to you. And so my family were not, they were not people that looked wealthy in any way, shape, or form. They had access to the, to the checkbook when it was needed. But otherwise, if you're not directly in that stream of all the, of all the main wealth, you got to go build your own empire if you're going to get trusted with it in any kind of increased amount in the future. And so my family brought that operation to the Southwest. They left the, the, the Northeast and the New York and Connecticut, and New Jersey area, and they congregated in the Southwest to start another empire. And that was the method that they had done. The, the territory in New York was super saturated. And so that was the area that was chosen next. And so it's different, different people, different personalities, and different spiritual groups that got joined and yoked with. And so as I was growing up in that environment, my family financially looked, was very poor. We lived in trailer parks. We were on food stamps and we were asking, we're not always asking, but there was always need for food and clothing and basic provision in my family's house. But really it was a ruse. It was an illusion. And so, but it made me have that mentality of like a, a bulldog that you raise on a leash that you beat constantly and you starve at times and and you never allow it to experience anything good. And the only time you let it out is to destroy something else. That was kind of how I was trained to be what I was. That was how I was trained and raised to become a killer. That was like the, the profile and the training methodology to create a soldier like the one that, that they wanted. And because of that, I was continually reinforced that if you get out of this, if you speak a word to this, your sisters are going to get tortured in front of your face. You're going to watch the tongues of the people you love have get cut out. You're going to watch everybody that you've ever had any interaction with be murdered. And this was kind of stuff that then you would see witnesses of that firsthand. You would be brought in to witness that. And that is how you reinforce dread and fear at such a deep level that people even years or decades after they're out 
still can't speak a word about it. They still can't talk about it in any way. And that, that vault of destruction that's inside them, that learned helplessness continues with them wherever they go. Their will gets broken. And that is, we have all been raised in a society who has been designing ways to teach us, you aren't able to change this. You aren't able to make a difference. You aren't actually going to save anybody, help anybody. At the end of the day, you need to do what you're told and stay in line and be safe. But there is a completely different kingdom where our father says you are not to be living safe. You are to be living courageously. You're to be living valiantly. You were made to be a man of pursuit for righteousness, that you flee at the face of nothing and you fear him only. Over 360 times you're commanded in the scriptures not to be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says, you revere me and nothing else. And if you set yourself with that in mind, he will begin to eradicate those idols of fear, the fear of men, the fear of failure, the fear of lack, the fear of what other people think of you, the fear of what you look like to others, the societal reinforcing drones that have been built in society to put you back in line. The voices of those, those influencers gets Dollar and dollar and dollar and less meaningful the longer you're outside of it, the longer you begin to saturate yourself in the word and you begin to learn your identity as a child of the creator, as the one who made the heavens and the earth, who purposed you for a meaning, that you have a destiny that you have been given for this time, that you were actually born for such a time as this, that you were made to live a life of danger. That it's good to experience adversity, that it's good to experience hardships, persecution, the scourge of public mocking, that it's good to suffer for righteousness sake, because any of us could suffer for our stupidity and our foolishness and our worst moments. But when you suffer for doing right, when you suffer for the sake of the truth, when you stand up against it, you then get to become one of those witnesses that is standing over there when nobody else was looking because everybody else saw the big scary madmen that they saw the giants in the room they saw the nation set out to destroy them but then you get to be this one outlier that the few might gravitate towards that the few might see and take courage in and then you begin to allow others to find courage in themselves to find courage and confidence in their creator that they can know him and have a relationship with him that they can pursue adversaries that they can wage a war and be on the side that's absolutely certainly going to win I want to fight in, in, in every battle that I can when I know with certainty there's victory at the end, that there is assurance and confidence that our day of deliverance will come and vindication and justice, pure, authentic justice will come forth and render itself unto all those, the wicked and the righteous. Every one of us, all our lives is going to be tested by fire and by truth. And we will find out at the end of it what fruits were actually in us. What was, the, what was our life really all about? I know men and women need that. I began to see that in the early 2010, 2011, 2012. I began to get exposed to people that were speaking out in podcasts and YouTubes and videos that were talking about topics that I'd grown up believing were unmentionable, were unallowable to be spoken of. That people should have their tongues cut out for saying stuff like that. They're speaking the secrets. And I began to realize that these people weren't all being killed off. These people weren't being silenced. They were being suppressed. They were being persecuted, but they could not be silenced. And I saw men and women of conviction 
And I was so attracted to it. I knew that's what I've been looking for. That is what is needed for us to fight effectively. There were leaders and they were totally on the sideline. They weren't getting the press coverage. They weren't getting the, the headline news, but they were still being steadfast. They were still chugging along. They were still waging their war, even in the face of great adversity and great trials. And it began to stir that up in me. It began to give me a confidence that if they can do it, I know I can too. And it began to give me hope. And so people that are raised in those families that, that don't question it, I think a lot of them are just waiting to see you can break out. You can come out of it. You can have a purpose. You can have a joyous, wonderful life. You can suffer immensely, but you can have a life where you lay down to sleep in peace because you know Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is watching over you. Like he says in Psalm 4, you can lay down in peace. And I had spent so many years of my life without sleeping in peace, with so many nightmares, with so many terrors, with so many haunting, vivid memories of life of others passing between, of being a thief and a murderer. And I couldn't sleep soundly. And you know what? Now to sleep soundly is one of the greatest joys I've ever experienced. To know that my life is full and abundant. And if it is taken from me, let it be so. Because you can't take a life when somebody secures their life with the, with the creator. When you give your life back to him, no one can steal it from you ever again. And you realize that if he can raise the dead, he can surely raise us up. And if we are to perish, for speaking the truth, then let it be so, but only in accordance with my father's will and not my own. I know, you've, um, I know you've, I've heard you talk before about um, Lake Havasu and London Bridge. And now you talk about your family moving to the Southwest part of the country. Can you explain a little bit about that for everyone? Yes. So Lake Havasu City uh, is a community that is in the extreme western border of Arizona. It borders California and very close to Nevada and Utah as well. And it is a, a desert city that was founded originally as a United States military, like an army air base. Um, there was these lines of air bases that were created across the southwest during World War II and then in the years following that. Well, the land that was being utilized for these uh, military projects and these uh, cargo and transportation infrastructure instead got sold off in the early the late 1950s and early 60s um, to individuals that wanted to develop it like Robert McCullough and he had an empire and a fortune that he wanted to raise up a retirement community as he kind of geared it but really he wanted to build a play place out in the desert for people that wanted to participate in these kinds of things and be able to get away with it and so they needed an effective cover to be able to accomplish that. And so Lake Havasu City was founded and was, was catered towards retirees, that this was a desert community that people could come to. They built a, a dam uh, over the Colorado River and made a lake called Lake Havasu City. And during the time of that creation of that, they cut out an island from the, the former area where that military base was, and they created an island. And purchased the bridge, the actual bridge from London that used to cross the Thames River and in the 1800s. And this is the very bridge that the royals would go back and forth on. This was a place where public spectacles and executions were, were done out. This is the, the origin of the sing-song 
lullabies that we grow up with, like the London Bridge is falling down, it's falling down. That song, even these nursery rhymes that we inherit were sung because the London Bridge was a place of very specific occult practices, and one of which was entombment, where children were taken and placed inside the walls and were killed so that the bricks of the city of London, which is really the financial epicenter of the earth, it is the home of the great red dragon, uh, their, their iconography and their crests are of this great red dragon who rules from that place. It is the land where the Lord Mayor of London every year hosts a parade to Gog and Magog. The giants are, are brought out as idols, literal giant idols that are carried around with all the parades of billionaires and trillionaires who come to pay homage to these great deities that have brought them forth and to bow before the Lord Mayor of London. Truly, it is the financial epicenter of the earth. And from that place, they took that bridge and and they created a more or less a sovereign territory of the city of London there in Lake Havasu City. They put Buckingham Palace's gates there. They put the chariot that, that would take the, the royals back and forth. All of it was brought in. And the standing columns, the standing stones that were these blood sacrifice stones were brought in piece by piece. And they were reconstructed there in Lake Havasu City. And it was kind of geared and catered towards a publicly as a tourist attraction. But behind the scenes, the uh, E.B. Wood, who is one of the designers and builders of Walt Disney's parks and theme parks, not just in Southern California, but other ones across the United States, like in Golden, Colorado, also had another one in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And so they designed like a small world, um, a, a hub and a house for perpetuating child pornography production and trafficking and uh, they built it literally in networks right there along the boardwalk of the London Bridge. So they had tunnel systems and regular entrances into businesses and, and uh, travel agencies that you could procure time and, uh, and information there uh, so that you could secure child pedophilia. And so that, is, that was the main draw for a lot of individuals who came to Lake Havasu City was to have a cover of uh, these are just grandmas and grandpas walking around with children all the time. And meanwhile, this is what allowed them to have lots of young boys running around with old men and nobody asked any questions. And so an entire town and industry over the last five, six decades was raised up in order to fulfill that and has been trafficking and continues to even unto this day. I went down there to film uh, a documentary a few years ago with a man named Tom Dunn. And even there, there's young teenage boys who are trafficking right now surrounding the the london bridge and they are trying to procure services and offering it to people that come by even today it's still saturating that climate and that culture and it is a great snare under the people that live there and it is a house of bondage in a severe and very strategic and precise way and so many people come there that's their gathering place to participate in what has been going on from the beginning which is people that are radically devoted to serving these other deities, these other Elohim, these strange gods. And they worship them in ways like they did before, making their children pass through the fires, just like they did in the scripture. This is this has been taking place for millennia. Even if you read Ezekiel 8 and 9, these people were doing this in the temple, in that in the house of Elohim. The, it was supposed to be the most sacred place on the earth, and instead they're worshiping the sun there. They're, they're, you've got Freemasonic Luciferianism that's taking place from the very temple You've got people that are worshiping these creatures and abominations and participating in bestiality and human sacrifice. And they're mingling all of that stuff in with the church. And 
the main church that they use down there to cover that and veneer that is is the Roman Catholic Church, and it is the the the, the right the left hand of the Pope, which is the Jesuits. They are the ones who have been doing this for millennia. They were the Counter Reformationists who set themselves up to be the military force, the strong hand of of the Pope to eradicate this ideology, this infectious ideology that unleashed itself in the, in the middle ages. And when you see these reformationists, that began to come forward, bringing out these ideas, these toxic ideas to the controllers that men could read the word and follow it without the need for an agency to govern them, that they did not need a governing agency to walk out this life and to serve the creator that instead they would no longer have to yoke themselves to Rome in order to live and to do anything. And that was so disruptive to the controlling systems that they instituted an entire military intelligence network. And you, it's been very important to remember between the Queen of England and the Vatican, you have almost half or more of the Earth's physical land territories and assets are owned and controlled through just those two entities. And so those two have partnered together in order to pr- maintain the controlling class. This is always what they've done. It's something that has been the financiers, financiers that will partner with the religious order, that will partner with the military, that will partner with the merchants, and then the kings, the politicians. That is the, the, the governing authorities of the world. That is the rulers of darkness, in a sense, that should be doing rightly, that should be governing in a way that was good that protect the oppressed that looked after the widow the orphan the sojourner that cared for the poor and the needy that fed the that fed the hungry and clothed the naked and instead they used that power and that influence to compromise control and crush coerce and destroy people and so the jesuit order became masters of that they became nation topplers they were the guys that came in that were brought in to usurp nations and so that same ideology and and pursuit came all the way up into modernity and into the world wars and into world war ii and the founding of the cia and the founding of these x projects groups and they infected so many of the intelligence networks and the military networks and the political networks those were sewn in to the scholastic and the academic societies to the scientific communities they were sewn in to the to the biblical scholarly fields into the seminaries and from there they slowly coerce the people towards another way of thinking, another way of living until you're left with these kingdoms like we have today. And so that society and much of that, that, that black gold and compromise is funneled out through areas like Lake Havasu City in Arizona. And it's also brought around and festers in other parts of this country. But that is one in particular that I was raised and saturated in the most. Wow. Pretty explosive. Um, We've got a couple researchers on the group, and as you were talking, <clears throat> it brought back to my uh, consciousness. Uh, we had a researcher that went down the rabbit hole of uh, Ted Turner. Not sure if you ever have. And uh, a lot of things that you were speaking of sound very familiar. And it's sad because innocent kids are being put in the middle of darkness. And I am so honored that you have came on here and shared your truth and your story. Um, If there's anything else that you would like to bring to the audience um, before we go into Q&A, or if there's anything else that you may have, like, left off, please share it. 
and we would definitely love to have you on again. It's been wonderful to be able to be here with y'all and uh, always willing to be wherever I'm invited. You know, I, there is, there is this scripture of revelation 12, 11. It said that the enemy, our adversary, this great dragon, like you see over my shoulder is defeated by the blood of the lamb, the words of our testimony and not loving our lives, even when faced with or tested with death. And that is, that is the cure. That is the, the inoculant. That is the true biblical booster of belief that you need and each of us needs in order to fight effectively. We need the blood of the lamb. We have, we have a deliverer. We have a Messiah. I, I grew up hearing his name as Jesus and, and seeing him represented in a certain version. And it made me very estranged to what I thought was him. And I came to realize that the version that I was raised in the version that I was shown was a masqueraded version, was a very weak, sissified, emasculated version of what is the strongest man that's ever lived, what is the bravest and most vulnerable, the meekest man in the history of the earth, the strongest servant of all. And that's Yahusha. It's our Messiah. It's the one who came to show us who his father is. He came to show us how to walk like he walked. He came to live out the scriptures, to live out this Torah, these loving instructions of the Father. He showed us what his word really looked like when it was lived completely. He was the embodiment of authentic human experiences, separated from destruction, despair, and hopelessness. He never had his identity compromised. He never lost focus and sight of what was truth because he was embodying it. He was filled with the spirit of truth. And for those of you that are trapped in these situations, who are looking to get relief, deliverance, who believe maybe you've compromised and you've been so far gone that you are unredeemable. He is a perpetual witness calling to you that his ways are pure, that he is trustworthy, that Yahuwah and his word has been tested and tried. And he is a shield to those who put their trust in him, as it says in the Psalms. If you put your trust in him, if you begin to call upon his name and say, deliver me and show me how to walk with you, he will come and empower you to do that. He will begin to walk with you. It is not a single prayer thing that you just pray and then you go back to plug back into Babylon and you plug back into the world. And instead, you are supposed to be transformed. You're supposed to become set apart, holy, distinct, precious to him, but not to this world. And as you do that, he will show you what it means to be a man. He will show you what it means to be a woman, to be a son, to be a father, to be a husband, to be a warrior, to be a mighty man of valor, to be a courageous person. He will show you and he will lead you on that path. And I am a living witness now of just what can happen when you do cling to him and you begin to put your walk in his hands and he will fill you. He will satisfy you. You will get to eat your bread in its abundance. You will eat the bread that satisfies you and doesn't leave you empty and full of, of longing for more. And that I have found in his word. And I hope each and every one of you would turn to him above all else. As much as you want to study truth and find out what's going on and what's taking place behind the scenes, let you, I pray you never lose sight of the authentic reality of the kingdom compromiser above all of them, which is truth. And it's found in his word. Thank you all for having me on here. I look forward to hearing from your questions and talking with you again. Thanks, Nathan. And now, you know, since you said you'll come back, you know, I'll be emailing you and pestering you again.
Right on. I think Dolphin Smile had your hand up a while ago. Do you still have a question? I'm going to unmute you. Dolphin Smile, your mic is unmuted. And does anyone else have a question? Please raise your hand. June, you're up. Hey, it's actually Tammy. My phone died. Um, that was a great show, and I loved your testimony. And I was just wondering if you could tell us, like, a little bit about um, a little bit about your wife and meeting her and and explaining this stuff to her, and you know, like how it obviously, obviously worked. Out, worked so I don't want to say how that worked out, but like but how like, did that interaction go? That's a great, great question. And really the, the beginning of this book, Snatched from the Flames, starts out as that story of, of meeting her. And it's kind of the romantic boy meets girl, man meets woman. They, uh, and me pursuing her and courting her and wooing her in the ways that I could and failing terribly for much of it. And I got to begin a relationship with her. And our first year of marriage was so brutal because she married a man that was very different than who she, who I really was. It wasn't that it wasn't unauthentic, but she married the side of me, the, the, the aspects of my soul that were lively and, and passionate and full of joy and quick to forgive and cherish people and desperately, passionately living vibrantly. That's the man she married. She married, I was uh, at the time working for, all mental health facilities. And I had just this constant desire to go help people. I was serving in a church 40 to 60 hours a week. I was so passionate about what I was doing. And then as our marriage progressed, the reality of who I was and people that were from my past and controllers and handlers began to work their way back in. And I became brought, I, I became a completely different person and they, they wanted the hunter to come back out and start working for them again. And I went from being that happy joyous man who wanted to talk to everyone and spend time with everyone to a completely emotionless prepper soldier assassin again and wanted to go out and and identify targets and build out dossiers on criminals and go out and hunt monsters at night again and so she watched this complete transformation take over and her husband's driving around with police scanners and his marking license plates and is driving out into the middle of the forest to do weapons drops and storing up different goods in different places around the communities. And I was completely lost in a very different world of preparedness and militarism that she had never seen. And the version of me that she then got to know this, this other husband to her was a stranger. And so our marriage was, was stretched to its breaking point. And it was at its absolute wit's end in so many ways because she had no idea what happened to the man she married. Meanwhile, I had no idea who this man in the mirror was because I was raised in such a structured environment that that side of who I was was never allowed out in this kind of more normal world. It was let out in very specific circumstances only. And so to try to then take on working and, and being married was brutal. And our marriage was struggling severely. 
And so as I began to see these men of conviction, I began to see that that healing could come for me as well, that I absolutely believed I could find answers to what was going on with me and what had happened in my past and how I could ever get to a place where I could tell my wife about it. And that was for me the, at the time, the hardest thing I'd ever done because I was convinced if I ever told her, if I ever shared this with her, I would lose everything. She would leave me. I would lose every, everything I loved. This like was in, just impressed into me daily growing up. If, if I had a person who was in a close relationship with me, they would get destroyed. Like they would be horrifically wounded because I got into their life or so I was led to believe. And it was, it would made me believe that if I ever talked about this to, to my wife, she would divorce me. She would leave me. And so I was terrified to have that conversation with her. I, I dreaded it. I, I put it away for months and months and months because I was so convinced I was going to lose it. I was going to lose the one authentic love relationship I'd ever experienced. It was the only, it was the only harbor. It was the only safe harbor I'd ever actually known. That's what my wife's name means. It's Chelsea. And it means safe harbor. And that's what she was for me. Even amidst all of my changes and all my eccentricities and all of my irrationalism, she was there. And she was the safe harbor so that as I went out into the sea of chaos, I could come home to her. She, she really meant and understood covenant. She, she meant what she said when we swore an oath between us and, and as the heavens and the, uh, the earth as a witness. She meant it. And so when our marriage was tested and I had to come out with all of these things, she was so brokenhearted. She was so brokenhearted and she wept with me and she poured out for me love. She showed me what love should look like. She embodied it to me. And I believe that she was put into my life to give me a witness. She was the first witness of love, authentic love that I got to, to know as my own and I got to share. And it so powerfully transformed me. It began to work out those, those falsehoods. It began to stretch me and that muscle that had been so atrophied that was trust. It began to grow in us trust because I divulged to her what were my deepest shames. I, do you think any man wants to sit next to any woman, let alone someone that he really loves and cares about and talk about ritual incest? wants to talk about homosexual abuse, wants to talk about any of those things. It is not a desire to go, let alone talk about this in public ever. But I knew if that, if that poison stayed in me any longer, if that corruption stayed locked in me, it would continue to bleed out and destroy all, all the good in my life. It would root it out. And if I stayed in the secret place of covering it up, if I tried to put on the cloak of invisibility any longer, it would suck me of all of my strength and it would destroy me in my end because I no longer wanted to call upon these names of these other deities. I no longer wanted to be a servant in their kingdom, but I knew if I wanted to have love and a relationship, actual intimacy with my wife, then I knew I could not have locked inside me death and despair and bitterness and anger and all of these tombs and these vaults of resources of bondage because that would infect her, because we were one. We are one. We are not just a husband and wife. We are one flesh. We are in a relationship together that, that is not like friendship. That is nothing like what this world even has a category for. 
covenant is something so other than, so distinct, so peculiar, so precious, that it ought to be guarded with absolute ferocity, with absolute diligence. And she showed me that she was willing to fight for me. She showed me that she was also willing to lay down her life for me. She was willing to suffer the scourge. She was willing to go with me as even people came to murder us coming out of movie theaters when her and I are walking out of the theater. She was willing to wage into that battle with me and still keep waging in that battle with me. When my emotional faculties, when my, co- my cognitive abilities shut down to where I was crawling around in such crippling agony, I couldn't even move to carry me out of stores. She is born with me continually as all of this onslaught of anguish would come over me and cripple me. She would bear with me and she would help me in that burden. She is embodying to me what it means to co-labor together. I have worked on farms now and got to see what happens when the labor is few and the harvest is plenty. I've been in greenhouses where I've meticulously managed. I've pruned these tomato vines to grow the best tasting tomatoes in the world for months by the sweat of my face, diligently guarding these things. And then you have such an abundance of fruit come in and you don't have enough laborers to get it in time. And it's devastating to watch your fruits go wasted. It's devastating to watch your your hard work go out the door. And it is such a joy when backup steps into the room, when you get reinforcements, when you get co-laborers who step in and are willing to sweat by their face and are willing to suffer the burden of the day, the heat of the day, and they're willing to do it with joy. They're willing to do it with a desire, with voluntary choice. That's what my wife has shown me. And by doing so, she has set herself up as a woman of righteousness. She has demonstrated that her works are pure because she's cared for me. The foreigner, the sojourner, the traveler, the abused, the orphan, she's cared for me. The fatherless, she's shown me what it's like to have a father and a mother and a, and a wife in the way that she has shown me what love is. And so our marriage has been able to bear forth good fruit now. There's still trials and testings because I'm not just immediately cured. There isn't an instant cure for a lifetime of corruption. But you know what? I absolutely am confident my cure will come someday. And if it's not now and if it's not in the next six months or six years or 60 years, I trust that sooner or later I will be healed and I will be whole. And so too will she be rewarded for the wonderful works of co-laboring and, and suffering the burden and bearing my burden with me as we pursue this kingdom forever. Tammy, do you have another question? No, I just wanted to say uh, thank you so much for answering that. That was great. Very passionate. I enjoyed it. And Dolphin Small, if you have a question, please press the middle button again. Dolphin Small, are you with us? She must have stepped away. Yeah, I'm here. I was wondering, um, 
have you ever had any trauma-based therapies and if so um to help you kind of unravel um what's happened so that you can integrate both parts of yourself to try to help yourself heal or is this just kind of something that you and god are doing together that's an excellent question and here's what i'll say i have when I, when I came out talking to my wife first about it, that was, I did not have any support system besides her. In the very beginning, it was a character assassination in every area of my life. My family went after my, my job. They went after my churches. They went after any of my friends. I mean, there was a systematic, very strategic way of character assassinating me to anybody that they could. I mean, past employers from 10 years ago, we're getting phone calls and, and getting uh, levered against every it. They tried to destroy the support network in any area that they could. And at the time we were going to a church that had counseling services available. And so I got to, to be able to be a part of some counseling services with um, someone who had specialized in people that were coming out of um, satanic ritual abuse and mind control. And so this was more or less, though, after about 10 months of me going on my own, just between me and, and the father, seeking that healing and going to him. And one of the predominant ways for me was was writing and was then talking about it directly um, was a way that I was able to get so much healing and then reading in the word what my identity truly was. So those were kind of the main tools that I was utilizing and the counselor there, more or less, if any of you actually know what counselors really do, they're basically a paid friend. They're a friend. You know, it says in the scripture, we should surround ourselves with wise counselors. And so that's more or less what I had was somebody who had experience in dealing with the family side of it. Because as soon as my family got wind of anything I was doing, if I was, if I was going to a church, they were going to go to that church every single week and be waiting for me to try to intercept me and intercept my wife or, or get to my daughter. You know, it was like a very perpetually oppressive and scary time to be going through those experiences. And so my counselor needed to be well equipped with even how to deal with families that were like that. And so because he had experience doing that, he was able to still maintain counseling towards me without getting completely pulled away into kind of the family diet, diet, you know, the family drama version of it. And so that was something that was very helpful in the first few months for me. However, much of that changed over the course of time. And I did try to find counseling and I was on a quest for healing because I, in my head, I had this idea that I could just concentrate all my healing and get integration. For those of you that don't are unfamiliar with it, what uh, the listener was talking about there is, is with individuals who have what is called dissociative identity disorder, what used to be called multiple personality disorder. Um, as an individual before the age of anywhere from five to seven years old, it, when they're under extreme duress, stress, or perpetual learned helplessness, the idea of physically escaping, fight or flight, those two mechanisms that are hardwired into us, they begin to get shut down. And you, you, that learned helplessness takes over that you can't flee or fight back. So you flee internally and you, you separate and dissociate your mind like a small scale version of this, driving down the road, going from work back to the home. And you ever pull into your parking lot or gotten home and suddenly realize you don't really actually remember much of the drive. That's kind of basic, like a one on the dissociation scale. Well, then there's more extreme versions of it. And people that are going through 
extreme trauma, like a soldier who's seeing major violence in, in, in combat taking place, their, their brain's ability to cope with it and manage with it, what, what happens is the brain will segment off portions of it because you're experiencing trauma. The physical cells of your brain are getting damaged. And this trauma needs to get compartmentalized so that the rest of the system can kind of go on. And so I, there was times where I, I tried to find counseling services that were more also dealing with the physical trauma aspects of, of my brain, because truly it's basically like a traumatic brain injury. And it's not just one, but repeated amounts of it. And so when you're trying to process memories or process identities or aspects of your personality, it, it really takes on a physiological requirement. The body literally needs to be detoxified because you've, you've, you've stored up so much stress. You've required so much adrenal response for so many years of your life that all of these systems in your body are very shut down. And so my physical health was very compromised. And so there's times I sought out health in the health sector of society. And so that led my wife and I really to get serious about diets, nutrition, holistic healing methodologies, and trying to find ways that we could do everything we could to sustain our bodies, but on a very poor diet, um, sorry, on a very cheap diet. And uh, so that's really kind of what actually ended up leading me to what I believe was the most effective counseling and deliverance approach, which really is super saturation in the word. It, that as much as it was helpful at times for me to have counselors or people to listen to me, it was the thing I actually needed was the ability to get to where I could read the word and, and, and understand the word and have that be the, the force of change and transformation. Because if I was really transparent with you all, even amidst trying to find different methods of healing and restoration, I got caught up in versions of, of therapy and counseling that were totally going astray. That, that were definitely being inspired and led by individuals who are willing to compromise and, and start to grab onto and leech onto techniques and methodologies of healing that are definitely not from the kingdom of Yahuwah, not from righteousness, that they were willing to, to meddle in with new age ideologies, that they were willing to meddle in to kind of Talmudic traditions, that they were willing to grab onto some of these things and incorporate them. And they were very compromising. They were very destructive. And so I was, I came out very much against it. So about, about the time when we went on the road and, and moved into the RV, I completely stopped doing any counseling with anybody outside, uh, if you will. I wasn't seeking that out. I stopped trying to pursue integration. Integration is the, the along that continuum, the continuum of dissociation, as an individual goes through maybe more traumatic events, they can partition off aspects of their personality, of their soul. They lock away the memory of it. There's lots of people who experience a car accident and their last memory was getting in the car and then they wake up in the hospital. Well, they physically were there for all of that. Their body was there. Their mind was there. But where did the memory for all that go? Well, your brain locked it up so that you could still live because until you're ready to physically process that and emotionally and spiritually, your body's like not going to happen. And so you need to free up the, your your body's ability on one side of it. And that's why we became so passionate about eating fresh and natural produce as much as we could to where we moved our family onto a farm. We became volunteered migrant workers on farms. I didn't have farming experience in my background, but I was willing to go work in a greenhouse in Southern Florida and sweat my face into the earth so that I knew my family was here and that we were eating the best food possible, that we were my children were free and able to experience life 
in an authentic way. And I got to see this was the transformation. This was how my soul could find healing, that those personalities in my being didn't just need to get shoved back together and integrated. They needed to get restored, that it's okay to have individuality still, that, that integration shouldn't be the holy grail that we all seek as this cup of immortality that will heal us. There is a path of healing that is unique to each and every one of us. And for me, it has involved me going out and living in the wilderness, going out and living in a way that's not normal. And it's allowed me to experience healing in totally unique opportunities that I never knew while being a shepherd of goats and milking goats early in the morning, how much that could give me time to deal with stuff that I could have never expressed. That by while I'm working and while I'm sweating, And while I'm anguishing and getting cut and chewed up in hard labor, that I recognize this is what it was supposed to be like. This is what I should have experienced. And this is what my Father in Heaven wants for me. And I love it. And I trust Him. And I believe that is He is the only one that should orchestrate my healing now. And I believe He can do that by the way He arranges my life and my circumstances and by the things that take place in my life, that He has a better way of doing it. And I've just turned myself over to Him because... I, it was it was messy, and there's there's a lot of people that wanted to kind of get their hands on me in a sense and steer me into kind of being a a show showpiece for their methodology of healing. And I'm not interested in being a spokesperson for for men. I'm all about being a being an advocate and an ambassador of our Redeemer with everything in me. Thank you very much, Michael. Michael Henderson, I'm going to unmute you and you can go ahead and ask your question. Michael, did you have a question? Looks like you dropped off. If anyone else has a question, if you press the middle button, It'll show your hands being raised and, oh, Michael's back. Michael, you can just push that um, blue button to um, mute so you can ask your question. I guess he got shy, Nathan. I'll ask a question then. Um, I know I've, I've watched quite a few of your videos of like of you and your family traveling around. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I think we're having weather related issues. Could you guys not hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Yes. Did he back out and come back in again? Can you hear me at all? Uh- yep, loud and clear. Can you hear me at all? Yep. 
Sorry about that. Well, you're good. I did not hear your question. Everything kind of, my whole system crashed there. So I didn't actually hear your question there, Jill. I just wanted to know if you can explain a little bit like what you and your family have been watching your videos, you and your family traveling around, maybe explain a little bit about that because I think it looks awesome. Oh, yes. So much of our pursuit and our passion now has been, uh, like, like you said, traveling around the country and getting to experience uh, authentic human experiences. And, uh, and so really over the, the last few years, some of the, the greatest things that came into our life that brought us to that were living bread and, uh, and garments. And it sounds kind of peculiar, but I really believe that healing can take place for, for people in so many powerful and profound ways. And I needed above all else was nutritionally a, a way of living that I was not so weak and sick and broken. And about two years ago, we first heard about these people that ground their own flour and they, they milled wheat berries and that every vitamin, mineral and amino acid you needed, but a few were found in fresh milled flour. And it was, it was the first time I'd ever eaten bread in my life that I did not feel unwell after. I felt satisfied and, and filled with, with strength and encouragement. And, and I, when I was working on that farm as a shepherd on milk and goats, it was the first time I ever had a slice of fresh milled bread. And I had energy for six hours working hard on a farm and, and I didn't feel any hunger and I was just blown away. And so anytime my wife and I get passionate about something, we share it with everyone we can because we, when we find something that we believe is a treasure, we want to share it with everyone we can. We're hardwired that way. And so we began to share that with everyone we could. I, I've been traveling around the country and speaking at different conferences, events, and churches here and, and abroad, and, and uh, it's given me the opportunity to get to know people and what their major needs are. And so many people that even are passionate about the truth, even are frontlining it in the, their mission for seeing truth brought forth, their, their health is so compromised and they're so unwell and they just, they want to get better and they want to be strong. They want to be healthy. They want to think clearly. They want to have attention and the ability to focus and nutritionally the the best and most effective cost effective way to do that is to to start fresh milling your own flour and that's literally where it started for so many aspects of my life and my wife's as we began to share this bread of life with everyone we knew it says in john 6 35 yeshua says i am the bread of life he who eats of me will never hunger again and he who drinks of me will never thirst again but I've grown up in a, in a time where bread is bad, where gluten is death, and, and it's going to cause you all kinds of problems and indigestion. Well, all that stuff goes away if you stop sifting out the two other portions of wheat where we get – when you go to a store and you buy shelf-stable flour, you get something that is missing the bran and the germ, the outer hard casing of the wheat berry and the germ, which is the vitality of the plant that brings that little shoot out of it. They take all those out and they turn them into animal feed and they sell that product as an animal feed because it makes animals very, very healthy. And then they feed us the white starch, the dead bread, and that's shelf stable but is full of death. And so when you begin to eat it all together, you get everything you need. You get fiber in your body so you can get toxins out. Mike was talking earlier about detoxifying your body, and I could not agree more. We are such a toxic people. Our bodies have been the dumping ground, the waste processing facilities 
for like the Reynolds family, the aluminum industry. They, they get rid of their, their toxic chemical waste by pumping it into our drinking water. That is where the source of this product called hydrofluorosilicic acid, people will call it fluoride, but that's just one of sometimes 140 compounds that's in the industrial waste processes and outflows from aluminum production and from phosphate production. And so those are literally, they're, they're toxic chemicals unless they are a product that is sold to another consumer. And so instead of getting rid of that toxic waste properly, they sold it to water treatment facilities all over this country as a way to protect, quote unquote, people's teeth. And so it, it literally poisoned us. All of our lives were raised with these toxins going into our bodies. And our bodies are designed by the creator to, to fight against toxins, to not allow us to get killed by them. So we store, we enca- if we don't have enough fiber to get rid of those toxins, our body will encapsulate it with fat and store it away until we're able to get a nutrients enough that we need to live and to get those into our systems and to let it out. Just eating a slice of bread gives you the ability to do that. And we've got to experience that now. And so we started a online community with called Becoming a Linenite and Becoming a Millenite. And so if anybody wants to check out our YouTube channel or watch the playlist called The Linen Railroad, uh, that would get them caught up to speed on on more about that with uh, nutritionists who share their the the more science side of it, I would say. And, uh, and uh, a woman by the name of Sue Becker, who first kind of brought that information to me, she's in Atlanta, Georgia, and she's been traveling around for 25 years talking about this, or even longer, uh, almost 30 years talking about this, this bread of life, that indeed the, the Messiah really is the bread of life, and, and we who eat of it will be healed. And so that is one of the main focuses now of, of my wife and I's life and our ministry is to seek to clothe people, to feed them, and to make sure that they get access to the water of the word, the truth. And uh, it's, if, if we can have those things, I know that we can have life in abundance. And so one of the, the passionate ways that we do that is, is we want to see people clothed in natural fiber garments. The largest organ of our body that's most consistently saturated in toxins is our skin. Our skins are, are continually blasted with not only electromagnetic signals and radiation, but really from the toxic fibers that we're wearing, from the dyes that are put upon the garments from the glues and the, and the bonding agents to the detergents to the, the material itself. You've got polyester, you've got trash bags, petroleum products that we wear on our flesh for day and night. We sleep in it, we eat in it, children are raised in it their whole life, and they store up these toxins. Just polyester underwear will cause infertility in men and women. It's, it's guaranteed to be harming your body and your skin while you're wearing it. And so when I was started working in, that, in those fields down in Florida, I began to wear this linen and natural linen. It comes from the flax plant. And I had never worn it before, really. And I was so hot all the time. I needed something that breathed. And the linen breathed so well. And I just felt so much better when I was working hard and wearing it. And so that kind of led us on a quest of, of going to thrift stores and finding all of these natural fiber garments. And we began to find them in huge abundance. We'd hit up thrift stores. And my wife is like a master treasure hunter in a thrift store. She is exceptional at it. And so we would fill up bags and bags and bags of these natural fiber garments. garments. And so we began to send those out on something we called the Linen Railroad, where we believe, like he says in the scripture, if you read it in Proverbs 31, this woman of righteousness, this model of a woman, it says she sows flax, she gathers flax and wool, and she sews garments for her children. Like she's a diligent, hardworking woman. And my wife 
didn't have any of that identity really in her. She'd never sewn garments for her children. And by starting to collect these natural fibers and starting to send them out and share them with people all over the world, we began to see there's this lost identity for women in taking in clothing their families. And my wife is, is now spent the last few years trying to learn these trades and these skills that used to be normal. They used to be what people did. They used to be part of our identity, our culture, our tribe, our national, the what made us humans. And we've lost that. And so our deep desire is to see people invigorated with that again. The father says in the scriptures that as the people began to tra transgress him and go and serve these other Elohim, like in Hosea 2, 8, and 9, he said that I'm going to give you over to them. And I'm going to take from you my wool, my linen, my silk, my bread, my water, and I'm going to let them feed you. They're going to feed you poison. They're going to clothe you with poison. They're going to poison your water. They're going to give you dead bread. And that's the society we've been raised in. We have been raised under that. But the father said, if we turn back to his ways, if we restore the ancient paths, if we go and seek out that narrow road, he would bring it all and give it all back to us. So we believe in our mission is to clothe the naked and to genuinely feed the hungry and to water the world with authentic water, not adulterated and abominated by doctrines and, and, and dispensations, but by authenticity that we should experience as much as we can what it means to be a human and what it means to be a child of the living Elohim. That's beautiful. And I do recommend anyone who wants to go check out the videos. I think they're great. And you guys are a lot of fun too to watch you and your family. Thanks so much. We, we, we hope that it is, a, it is a joy for people. I, part of that is also getting to go treasure hunting. I love finding interesting things. And so I've been blessed to be able to go hunt across this nation for fossils and dinosaur bones and gemstones and shark teeth and all kinds of interesting treasures across the way. And so we, we like to inspire people to, to go out into creation. So there's also a series called nature, Nate, where, where that is just what I do. I go out and explore nature and I try to live vibrantly and try to inspire a younger generation that they don't need to be fearful of the wilderness and the woods and, uh, and of living and of, of doing things that might cause them harm, but that it is a, it a beautiful reward when you can learn how to seek treasure. And so we, we'd like to, to give away those treasures that we find and inspire others to see these stones of testimony, these faithful witnesses that even though it says if men keep silent. He said, the rocks were going to cry out. The rocks were going to testify and they will. And I believe they still do. And as men and women have been forced into silence, those stones are out there scattered abroad, those precious treasures of him. And that's people. The ultimate treasure that we could all seek is relationships with people, is authentic life with others, to, to share our lives, to not be afraid of people, but to cherish them, to love them, to love our neighbors and to love our father with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And to truly learn how to love our neighbors, as he said, this is what love is, is, is that we do what he said, and it's, it is life for us, and we love sharing it with others. So Nathan, can you let everybody know how they can go find your book and, and give them info on where they can go find it? Yes, they can, they can go to my website, snatchedfromtheflames.com. 
Um, I have it available for PDF, like an ebook download. I also have an audio uh, version of the book that I did there. And then physical hardback copies of the book are available through that. If any of you for any reason cannot afford one, don't, don't have the current means to, others have paid for you to have that. So all of that is also given away free there if any of you, not without costs, but as it's believed that others are valuable and they need to have access to, to that information regardless of it. So there's, if any of you have need for that, you can always email me at snatchedfromtheflames at protonmail.com. From there, you can get uh, my, my ebook is available on YouTube as well as, a, as an audio playlist. And then the digital copy is there on the website as well. So I don't want finances or money to ever be a hindrance towards people having access to the truth. So as far as it is unto me, I seek to give away everything that I have to, to those that have it, uh, that it might bring them hope and joy and peace. Oh, that's awesome. If you can, can you send JW the link of that site so then we can post that on our page daily? Yes, I can do that. I have it, Mike. Yeah, okay. I can post it. Awesome. Thank you all so much for having me on, though. It's, it's been a real, real joy to get to be here with you guys. No, most definitely. I, I really am honored that you came on, and I'm very thankful that JW seek to bring you on as well. These are stories that need to be heard and told, and I just hope that there is another individual that's been in this situation that hears this show comes forward and we will most definitely bring you on this platform and the most explosive amazing unique thing about what you're doing is you're helping others come forward and like i said i'm very honored that you came on with us it's, it's an honor to be here with you all, and I, I hope you guys continue to be steadfast in your pursuit of truth and in, in uh, seeking to wake the dead you know, from their slumber, that you guys would be persistent in that no matter what, and that you'd forsake all else for the sake of the truth that you've found. Praise God. And that's, that's one of the main things that we do what we do here. Thanks so much, Nathan. So glad you were here tonight. I know I was a past emailing you a lot, but thanks for being here tonight. Absolutely. Thank you for your persistence. Thank you, Nathan. Right on. Talk to you all soon.